1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'd like to continue our series on the life of David. I heard Pastor Tony had a couple messages on the subject. 1 Samuel chapter 18, let's pray for the message, Lord, we thank you God for the music and just this time, Lord, we can open your word, speak to us, God, as we face these uneasy times, Lord, we pray again for Clara, Sister Clara, she recovers, Lord, we thank you for her, just pray for others, Lord, thank you that Jack's with us today, thank you, Lord, that put him back on his feet, God. And for Shirley, we just thank you for each person that's here today, Lord. And bless we pray this message for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. We've been talking about the life of David. And um, by the way, how many of you noticed that we have a new addition on top of our steeple? Did you take a look up? up above? I don't know if, how many people look at the steeple when they walk in or when they come into the parking lot, but we have a brand new cross on our steeple. And uh, thanks to um, uh, thanks to Don, uh, braving the lightning strikes up there, and installing it up there. I guess he and uh, Anne-Marie installed it, right? <laughs> I guess that's what I heard. Don held a ladder, and Anne-Marie just climbed up, to the st- <laughs> climbed up to the top of the steeple and put it in. So, but, uh, and it was so funny, because... Every time I drive by a church that's got a white steeple, I look at the top of the cross and I think, we need a cross on our steeple. And I didn't know, but Don had, a, had, it, all, had it done and it was a surprise. So. And we actually have pictures of Don on top of the steeple moments before he fell. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, thanks Don. First, first Samuel chapter 18, verse 6, we see a part of David's life that many of us can relate to. And David is actually a somewhat a victim of King Saul. King Saul, as you remember, was a king that was that was ordained by God to be the first king of Israel, because Israel wanted to be like every other nation. And you can see this if you read in the beginning of the book of Samuel, First Samuel, that. Israel was complaining to God and to Samuel, saying that every nation around us has a king, yet we don't have a king. And that was the way that God had had it right from the beginning, that God was to be the king of Israel, that Israel was to be a state of a theocracy. And Israel began to look around at the pagan nations around it and began to compare itself with other nations. And this is really where many problems can begin in our lives. When we look around and begin to compare ourselves and our lives with people around us. And when that, whenever that happens, we find ourselves in a place where God will give us the desires of our heart, but it will send leanness to our soul. There's a classic verse in the book of Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 103 or 106, I believe it says that, God gave them the desires of their heart, but sent leanness to their soul. And this is, what can, this is what can happen many times with Christianity. That we could live with great desire and discontent for, discontentment for things. And then actually God may answer that prayer because he loves us so much. 
some of the most, some of the, and I don't remember how this, who said this, but some of the most grievous things that have happened in some people's lives is when God answers a, a prayer request that is based on something that a person wants out of discontentment rather than the perfect will of God. And much sorrow can come because of that. There's a verse that I think of in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, that says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Proverbs 10, verse 22. And that's the kind of life that we want to live, that we want to wait for God, as we sang earlier this morning, we want to wait for God to bring in the answer and to bring in the blessing, rather than us manipulating our lives to answer our own prayers. Sometimes we pray, and because we have uncrucified desire in our heart and in our soul, we actually subconsciously or subtly we bring the answer, we make the answer happen. How many have ever done that? I think we've all done that. We really want something, and then we're praying, and then we kind of push the situation a little bit, and then the door opens, and we're like, oh, God opened the door. This must be an answer to prayer. When it's not really God at all, God is just giving us the desire of our heart, and we call this the permissive will of God. And that's a topic for another time, but sometimes we look at people and at things, and we find ourselves living in envy and in jealousy. And we want to talk about that this morning here a little bit, that Saul, the first king, was a king that lost the kingdom and lost the blessing of God on his reign because he lived in natural rationalization, he lived in natural opinions, he lived in natural strength, and he did things according to his own way rather than according to the way that God had given through Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, we see that Saul loses the kingdom, although he's still king, but he loses the blessing of God on his kingdom. And so Saul now is reigning without the blessing of the Lord, and we see that God has raised up a new king, and we know this to be David, and has anointed him, and we begin to see, Saul begins to see the anointing of God on David, and he begins to see the anointing of God on the blessing of God on David's life. And that causes trouble in Saul's heart and his mind. Let's read verses 6 to verse 16. And as they were coming home, and I'm reading from the Amplified, and as they were coming home, and this is right after David had beat Goliath, when David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the Israelite towns, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with timbrels, joys, songs of joy, and instruments of music. And the women responded as they laughed and frolicked, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Wow, we have a little problem here, don't we? Sometimes circumstances will happen, and things like this will happen. And people don't mean any bad by it, but it can create for people who are living without the cross in their life and their flesh is reigning in their life, it can create envy and jealousy. And Saul was very angry in verse 8. For the saying displeased him, and he said, For ye have ascribed ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed only thousands. 
What more can he have but the kingdom? <laughs> Sorry to say this, but Saul was being a big baby, wasn't he? What a big, I mean, I mean, when our kids talk like that, we tell them, don't be a baby, right? Here's the king of a nation talking like that. Saul obviously was living in a very egocentric reign. His, everything he did and every, the way he interpreted situations was egocentric through the filter of, him, of his own ego. And he was very angry. <clears throat> and Saul jealously, in verse 9, eyed David from that day forward. <laughs> the eye, right? Saul gives David the eye. And David, I think, sees this for the rest of Saul's life. He's got Saul's eye on him. And the next day an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul. And I'll just basically say, what Saul, of course, was not possessed here by a demon, but the Lord allowed a evil spirit, or he allowed the devil to plague Saul because it was a point of chastisement in Saul's life. Was Saul a believer in God? We find at the end of Saul's life that he was, that he was a, a, a man that believed in God in the Old Testament way. And did he, did he do things that we don't agree with? Yes, he did. But he is a picture of a backslidden Christian, a Christian that's filled with his own ways and living in self-centeredness. And so the Lord allowed the, allowed the devil to plague him in some limited way to trouble his emotions. And you know, when people backslide, God, there's a nine-step process of chastisement, which we won't get into today, but one of the steps, some of the steps are that God begins to chastisement, chastise them in the details of their life. God begins to chastise them in their emotions. God begins to chastise them in their domestic situation, in their finances. God begins to chastise them in, in more and more of a severe way. And if we're having trouble today in our finances or in our family or in our personal life, don't think that it's God's chastisement because when we are being dealt with by God, we know it. We know that God is dealing with us. And the chastisement of God should always be interpreted from the perspective of God's grace that even while in, in Hebrews chapter 12, even while we're being dealt with by God, God is doing it in the sphere of love. Isn't that beautiful? That God is dealing with us inside, of, inside the sphere of His grace. And so Saul here is plagued with an evil spirit. And he raved madly in his house while David played the lyre with his hand. And at, as, at other times, there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And so Saul had David come in and play this music because David had an anointing in his life. In his music, there was an anointing. In his ministry, there was an anointing. In his leadership, there was an anointing. David had the blessing of God in his life. And you know, sometimes people will look at you, and you won't know this, but people will see the blessing of God in your life and they'll see the anointing of God in your life and they'll really get on your case. And we may not see it, but in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we don't look at flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that there's an anointing on our lives and on your life. And the devil sometimes through people or circumstances or systems will just blow up at you because of the blessing of God in your life. And... David And David begins to play this anointed music for Saul. And Saul cast the javelin, for he thought, if I pin David to the wall, and David evaded him twice. 
Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed David from him and made him as a commander over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. You know, it's funny that when and Saul meant to do this to get rid of David. Every time you and I suffer some kind of event in our life that is meant by the devil to discourage us or to distract us, it is really a part of God's plan to promote us. Even what the world does against the believer or what people do against you and I to negatively impact us is really a part of God's plan to promote you. Did you know that? I'm sure you did. But like when when something negative happens to us, or when we can interpret it like, wow, you know, I'm, I've been kicked out of Saul's court. I'm no longer to, allowed to be in this, the court of Saul. I'm no longer allowed to be in the presence of the king. And David could have taken that very personally, but he understood that the plan of God is much greater and much bigger than really what he could interpret and what he could see and what he could sense. And so God put him over, through Saul, put him over a captain over a thousand. And it says he went in and went out before the people. David was a man of the people. He was, he was a person that was just like as a shepherd living with his sheep and sleeping with his sheep and smelling like his sheep. David was the same way with the people of God. He went in before them and he went out before them. David was a person that lived in the midst of God's people. And we call that in our church body life. We call that church life. We call that life in the body where we are going in and out before each other, where we are part of each other. And David here, because he did that, um, he got the favor and the love of the people. And David acted wisely in verse 14 in all his ways and succeeded and the Lord was with him. Think of that verse there, David acted wisely, meaning that David understood the hand of God in the matter. And in everything that David did and in every decision that David did, he acted in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He acknowledged the Lord in all of his ways and the Lord directed his paths. You know, I was on this trip coming back. I think I was in an airport somewhere and just exhausted, tired and thinking, you know, and I just was thinking, I thought, you know, I'm going to acknowledge the Lord right now. I'm just going to acknowledge His presence in this airport waiting. I'm just going to wait on the Lord, and I'm going to ask God to stir me up. And He did. And when we acknowledge the Lord where we live, and where we acknowledge the Lord where we work, then God is faithful to lead us. Um, a day before, a couple of days before I went on this trip, and my wife is still in Poland, she'll be back in a few days. Before I went on this trip, we got word from my landlord that uh, they're, they're, they're foreclosing on his house. They're gonna, he can't afford to pay for it anymore. So we, had, we got news moments before, you know, just hours before we were supposed to fly out for a few days that we need to move. And so my wife and I, we just got together and we said, well, we're just going to acknowledge the Lord right now in this moment. And we prayed, and then we got a hold of a realtor. And uh, Saturday night, 
before we left, like at midnight, we were looking at houses up in this area. <laughs> Aggie said something really encouraging. She said, God's going to lead you. And so we were just thinking, like, it's midnight, and we're looking at this house in the middle of the night, you know, like, and I just thought, we are just, we are so, such crazy people, aren't we? The way we live, now we're going to fly to Serbia the next day, and here we are looking at houses, and, you know, I'm supposed to preach in the morning, and acknowledge the Lord, and don't live, and not live in envy, and so David acted wisely, you know, acting wisely in our decisions, where we think with God before we act and so the and Saul saw how capable and successful David was, and he stood in awe of him. It's amazing, isn't it? That's what it says here in the Amplified. That Saul saw the hand of God on David. There are people that look at your lives, and you have no idea about it, because God keeps this from us so that it's a walk of faith. But there are people that look at your life, and they're standing in awe because of God's hand on your life. Do you know that? You know... Some people may have a record with the system, but in the, in the, in the, in the eyes of God in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, angels and demons and people are looking in awe at your life because of the grace of God in our lives. And so when Saul saw how capable and successful David was, he stood in awe of him in verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and he came in before them. Isn't that beautiful? I just want to just give a couple, a couple definitions here of envy. Envy is one of the barriers that being concerned for other people is that we envy them. We're going, <coughs> excuse me, El- envy has an element of desire in it. Everybody has experienced an advantage or benefit in life, and you want to have that happen to you. That doesn't necessarily make you envious, however, because that kind of desire is okay when you're drawn to imitate God's people. Envy has a measure of desire to it. And there is godly desire, and then there is destructive envy. Godly desire is when we look at something or someone, and we, then we look to God and we say, God, bring that to pass. Make that happen in my life. Make me like this person, this role model. And all of us actually should have role models in our lives. People that we look at and say, you know, this person is really impacting my life. And instead of becoming envious of that person, we look at that person or that situation and we say, God, bring that to pass in my life. Envy, though, is when we have desire and we don't bring it to God. It's when we have things in our hearts and desires in our hearts that we don't bring to God, but we keep to ourselves, and we try to make that happen ourselves. Another element is is that makes envy very bad is that it's a desire uh, tinged with resentment that it's going well for another person and not for you. Do you ever have that happen? You're looking at somebody and you say, it's going so good for that person. Maybe a mother you know, of a child that, a mother that is looking at another mother and is looking at their child and saying, that kid is so good and I wish I had kids like that. Or maybe someone doesn't have a child and they watch other parents with children. There can be that resentment towards God. Uh, Maybe there is a person that is serving God or that is engaged in his career and looking at other people and the success in their life and comparing it to them themselves 
that's envy that doesn't bring any eternal result in the matter. And so, in a sentence, envy is really the mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that another is enjoying it, and you are not. So, there are a lot of different examples of it that we can talk about, but really, the Bible tells us that envy is just so corruptible, it's just so corruptive, that when we start to live in envy, we have that pang of, of anger and discontentment. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 1, and Proverbs 23, verse 17, Galatians 5, 26, and 1 Peter 2, 1, it says, don't envy. And really, the law of Moses says that, right? Do not envy. And we could talk about that, but really the, the thing that I want to focus on is that six reasons that how David overcome, overcame envy in his life and how David did not become like Saul because of envy and because of fear. You know, Saul is a man who lived in his own, in his own way and ordered his own steps. And he lost something in his life. He lost that blessing of God, the, that, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. And though Saul, we cannot, we cannot compare him to a Christian today in the sense that a, that a Christian loses his salvation because the Bible doesn't teach us that we can lose our salvation. But Saul here is a is a man that represents a carnal Christian that when he is living grieving the Holy Spirit, he is missing something in his life. And as I was traveling and as I was, you know, in this schedule, I was thinking, you know, I really covet God's presence and God's abiding spirit in the ministry because when we have that in our lives, then what we do and what we say has so much more fruit and so much more authority. David here in Psalm 37 talks about six different ways that he dealt with dealt with envy in his life. Number one, let's just turn to Psalm 37 and we'll just read these together. Psalm chapter 37, verse 2. We'll start with... Verse 1, and then go to... I'm going to read from the King James here. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, verse 1. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. And then David begins to give six different reasons why, and six different ways, and six different principles of how he dealt in his mind with envy and how he escaped it. Number 1, is verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. If we start getting anxious or envious about a wrongdoer, like the, the bad guy who just won a, a million dollars, God says, wait a minute. You don't want to be in his shoes because he's going to fade like the grass. And those who do the will of God will abide forever. First John 2 verse 15. And that's the first thing, is, is that we have to understand that what is the end <clears throat> of a person's life, or what happens to people in the world that have their portion in this life. The Bible talks about people that really have no interest in God's eternal treasures. And so God gives them their portion in this life. And so when they get to heaven, they're very empty people, and they don't have much reward. 
We don't want to be like those people that have their portion in this life. Because in the end, it all goes, doesn't it? It is all, it all just fades away. And that's why we don't, that's how David did not live in envy. Number two, and we see this also in verse nine, for the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall possess the land. And this is a big, this is an important point because when we don't live in envy and when we don't live in this discontentment, but we live in patience and we wait on God to bring things to pass, then in the end, we wind up possessing the land. We actually wind up getting those things that are really from God that are so much better than what the world could ever give. Number two, we see in verse three, for so you shall dwell in the land and enjoy security. This is in um, verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. When we... Um, put our trust in the faithfulness of God and we delight ourselves in the Lord, then God brings us to places in our life where there is going to be true green grass and where He begins to feed us. The envious person who tries to manipulate their life and control their life and direct their own steps always is going to wind up standing outside in the rain and missing the blessing of God. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, God knows the desires in our heart because He put them there. God puts things in your heart. God puts things in our heart, like desire to have a godly husband or a godly wife, to have a godly family, to be blessed in our business or in our work, to be blessed in our marriage. God has given us those desires. The devil says, God doesn't, want to, God doesn't want to do that in your life. God doesn't want to bless you. This is, this is Genesis chapter 3. Remember when the serpent came to Eve and said, God is trying to hide something from you. And can you really trust what God says? Is God really leading you? And it's the devil's voice when we, when we start to think in our mind that God does not want to bless my life. God puts desires inside of a mother for her kids to be godly kids, to grow up and to be a blessing. God puts those desires into our heart. The key is, is that when those desires, when we don't commit them to God and allow God to meet those desires, envy is the result. Another word for envy is lust or, or jealousy. When we desire something and we begin to try to make it happen ourselves without allowing God to be the orchestrator in our lives, then it can turn into envy. Delight yourself in the Lord. And this is, um, this is in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of thine heart. This is the third point. Again, delighting ourselves in the Lord. He gives us the desires of our heart. And I like that. That's a verse that many times I, would, I look at and I think about. You know, if there's a lack in your life, if there's some kind of uh, thing in your life that is just not happening, get busy with God. Get in God's plan for your life. Get engaged with God's plan. Delight yourself with what God's doing. Enjoy. Another way to say this is, is enjoy what God is doing in your life today. Enjoy that. Getting, enjoy the 
the, the portion or that part that God has in your life today. And as we do that, then God will order our steps and He'll bring things to pass. Okay? I'm going to switch this mic. Is this any better? Okay. I don't know what happened. Okay. Is this any better? Okay. I have no idea what that sound is. All right, can we just shut the system off? I'll just preach without a mic. Okay. Yeah, I just did. Thanks. All right, this is fine. Okay, so the fourth thing is, is verse 5 and 6. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Can you see these? See the pattern here? Look at this promise in Isaiah 64, verse 4. It says, Who has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him? Who has seen a God like you that works for those who wait for him? Sometimes God will allow needs to come into our life because he, he wants to prove to us that we can trust Him. Every time need comes in or the, um, a sense of uh, a lack in our life, always convert it to this way of thinking that God has allowed this need in my life because He wants to show Himself faithful to me. Otherwise, the other option, the alternative is to live in envy, and to live in discontentment. Here's the next one, number five. And we see this in verse nine and verse 11. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. In verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. There is a great aspect of a believer that waits on the Lord in his life. And if you've done this, you know what I'm talking about, that there's a peace that comes into our life that we may not have everything under control. We may not have everything happening the way we want it, would like to have it. But when we go to bed at night, we have the peace of God, don't we? The presence of God and the blessing of God in a person's life is not characterized by the lack of trouble. And it's not characterized by the lack of difficulty. Because trouble and difficulty are in everybody's life, even the unsaved. But the characteristic of God's blessing in a person's life is peace. Peace in the trouble. Peace in the difficulties. Peace in the, in the storms. Because we live in an evil world, a world that is, in, that, is, that is upside down. And the characteristic of God's blessing in your life is peace. And how many times have we heard people say to us, I don't know how, much, I don't know how you can have so much peace in your life in so much trouble and so much difficulty. I could never do what you're doing because I'd lose my mind. And it's because of the peace of God. Every one of us have things in our life that just require us to fall on our knees and say, God, I'm at the end of myself. Give me your mind. Give me your peace. Saul didn't have this. When Saul saw David, the blessing in David's life, you know what Saul should have done? He should have done exactly what Jonathan did. He should have gone to David and said, you know what? I blew it. God's anointing is in your life. I just want the best for what's for what's for is the best for Israel. I'm going to give you 
the kingship. I'm going to give you the authority as king. That's what Saul could have done. And he could have been as great as Jonathan. And we could have been talking about today in the Bible, the great king that Saul was, that he recognized the anointing of God in David's life. The meek will possess the land in verse 11 and delight themselves in abundant shalom, actually is the Hebrew word. This word is translated prosperity here, which probably has a ring to it, a ring that is not so helpful in our day. In the Hebrew, it refers to the well-being that comes to those who trust. Um, lastly, I want to finish with this, that jealousy and envy, envy is an attitude, jealousy is the, is the drive in a person's life that comes from envy. Envy is a mindset, envy is an attitude, it is a way of perceiving things, but jealousy is actually the next step. Jealousy is that, that destructive motive that drives a person to destroy other people, to bring people to ruin. What should we do when we see the good welfare of another person and it's not happening in our life? And we feel, that, we feel that envy come upon us. We need to get on our knees and get alone with God, open our Bibles, and read Psalm 37 and just think, you know what? I am so happy for this person. I want to rejoice with this person. And I'm going to rejoice, in the, I'm going to rejoice with this person because I'm not like Saul, where I am the center of everything that's happening in my life. David has the blessing of God, and I'm going to rejoice with David. And if I rejoice with David, I'm going to be a partaker of that blessing. And when we do that, God sees that. God sees that brokenness, that attitude of just trust. And you know what? He comes into our life and He comforts us and He blesses us too. Hannah was the same way, remember? How many times in the Old Testament do we see women of God that have no children and they were mocked by those that could have children? And God had compassion on those women that couldn't have children, open their womb, and then we see the line of Jesus Christ go through their womb. You know, things happen, need happens in our life, because need is just the calling card for God's miracle in our life. When we experience need, and when we experience deficit, and when we experience lack, we can understand this one thing, that God has allowed this to happen because He wants to do something supernatural in this circumstance. It's amazing how we can just walk with God and trust Him and not live in the way of Saul, but just live in the way David lived. David was like, he said to Saul later on, he says, as Saul, began, Saul leaves his throne, takes his army, and goes out into the desert to find David. This is what jealousy and envy can do with a person. It can dislocate a person from the amazing aspects of their life, and drag them into a desert place in their life. Being occupied with something just has no bearing on the plan of God. How do, we, how, do we, how do we deal with envy? We can exercise ourselves in compassion. We can exercise ourselves in love. Because it seems in the world that the more a person has in the world, the more envious and the more discontent they, they become. But in the kingdom of God, when we live with the riches of God's love and the riches of God's compassion, 
then we find ourselves filled with the riches of something that's eternal. And we just give and we give and we give. Instead of, being li- instead of living in envy, we can grab some tracks, we grab some food and go down and minister to people. We can grab another brother or sister in the Lord and go visit somebody that's in, that's in need. We can go and just get busy for God, get, delight ourselves in the Lord. Because otherwise we can, we're just going to sit in our house, we're going to live in envy, we're going to live in discontentment, and we're just going to get lost in this life. I just want to say, like, let's get busy with God. Let's get engaged with what God is doing, and I think many of us are. Let's continue to do that. And let's keep pouring out because we don't want to live in that, in that destructive cycle of envy and jealousy. We want to live being filled with compassion and living in a mission in our life because that's when we do that. That is when we experience the true peace of God and really discover God's awesome love. We are talking this, this morning before service and we were just talking about one one outreach that Eddie and his wife do and and um, something that I've been thinking it would be really great and I've talked about this before but it'd be really great to sometime from time to time have like an outreach in some of these coffee places where they have a mi- open mic and uh, we used to do this when we were in Philly in the city and just go down there and play music and just um, share a little message about the gospel to people because when we live in compassion and when we pour out, then we find ourselves God giving to us, God adding to us. A soul winner has so much joy in his life. A person that's about the business of the Lord is not at home counting how many, you know, uh, you know how many, um, uh, how many bags of tea they have left, or how many, you know, how much money they have left in their bank account. Because God, when we are pouring out and not living in envy, then we are being, God is pouring into us and he's blessing us. And it says here, the abundance of peace, doesn't it? In verse 11, they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And so that's the way we want to live. And this week, you know, when, when we face the details of our life, the lack or the pressures, let's remember, delight yourself in the Lord and experience God's blessing really in, in, in his in his peace in every in every way. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father